I, uh, I'm so thankful uh, for the blessing and encouragement you as a church have been to us over the years as we've come to know about the ministry of Brush Prairie and to, to see what you're doing in the world and the people that you're sending out, um, Brother Josh Lowen and his family, they've been a tremendous encouragement to us over the past couple of years, and now to see them uh, engaging in the world uh, to go to a very difficult place and uh, proclaim the Word of God. That is just uh, it's remarkable, and praise to the Lord. But the last three years since we were last with you, um, it's been a, a challenging kind of a nonstop game of changes, adjustments, high points, low points in our lives, and uh, you know, we've, we've been blindsided at times by things that have come along. You know, there's not enough time in this service, uh, let alone in this day, for us to really share with you what God has been doing in the past three years. But we want to focus right in on just a few things that God has been doing in the ministry uh, with TWR, Transworld Radio, uh, to reach into an area of North Africa, specifically into the country of Algeria, um, to the people group known as the Kabyle, in the language of Kabyle, uh, to an area, a region called Kabylia, but also into a, f a larger area of Algeria. Uh, they are a non-Arabic people group, uh, commonly known as the Berbers. We don't tend to use that term anymore because it's a derogatory term. Uh, we use the term that they prefer to use about themselves, which is called the Amazi or the Imazigan. And so uh, we work in media ministry to help the teams that are on the ground uh, ministering to this people group. And so that's, that's a big part of what we do. But we've, we've, we, along with that team, have faced some major challenges over this past three years. But it was a tremendous blessing for us, uh, Carol and I, as we settled in Cyprus two years ago, we... We arrived there in September, September 1st of 2019, and began our work with TWR in that location. Uh, we've been other places with TWR working in the same ministry, but in a another place. But we're thankful to be there. And right around the time we were settling in, uh, after we were there a couple months, Bob and Julie came along just to be there, just to be in our home, to pray with us, to encourage us from the word, to just talk, eat our food, um, and teach us how to appreciate Greek cuisine, which, by the way, is fantastic. Um, but it was also wonderful to be able to, you know, go to a local archaeological park. And Bob even just described to me what a Roman latrine would look like, because I had no idea what these rocks were all about. And uh, so he was able to kind of share with me, yeah, this is actually the place where they would um, go. And so um, it was always, a but it was a blessing for them to be able to come and just encourage us and build us up and kind of be there at the start of a new phase that we were in, in ministry. So uh, thank you for that. I want to thank the church for just allowing them to come. I know they were on their way to a, a trip to Israel with people from the church, 
And uh, it was a blessing to have them stop by and just take a, a breather with us. You know, during our time together this morning, as we get into the Word, I, I want us to explore what it means to be prepared, to be ready, to be eager um, in making the most of the opportunities that God provides for us to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Along with that, I want us to consider what it means to stay true to our calling uh, when those crunching, powerful hits, those obstacles come in our way, knock us down, throw us to the side, distract us, get us off course. Um, how do we progress in those times? Before moving on, I want us to just turn, to, turn in our Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 4, and uh, let's explore together uh, really the distinct yet related uh, actions that are necessary for the church and for each of us as we seek to maximize on the opportunities to demonstrate and communicate the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 to 6 and please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. So I'm going to use a little bit of a, a metaphor or analogy or whatever you want to call it uh, from the game of rugby. I don't know if you're very familiar with rugby. Growing up overseas and living overseas, there are two big sports that I kind of threw my life into. Uh, one is football, which is the one you kick around. Um, that's real football in other parts of the world. Um, and then there's rugby, and rugby is a big one especially in Europe, in South Africa, where I lived. Very, very big sport. And uh, so I'm drawing a little bit of a comparison from rugby this morning. In rugby, there is one formation that I love to watch. It's, it's a very interesting thing to watch form up and take place. Similar to, uh, well, it's not quite like the huddle in American football. It's not quite like uh, lining up whatever it is they do when they hike the ball. I don't follow American football, so I don't understand it very well. But it's, it's kind of similar to that, but a little bit more life-threatening. Um, and that is the scrum. The scrum is a very important part of rugby where there's been a, there's been a foul or something has happened, a penalty, and so the ball goes to the, the team that's allowed the, to take the penalty, and they basically feed the ball in 
but it's, but it's a contested ball. So they feed the ball into a scrum that is hovering over that ball. It's, it's fed in. And then they push against each other to see which team can actually uh, move that. And they're not allowed to use their arms because they're all in a locked position. So they have to push against each other and try and win that ball to their team's side. And then they can actually take the ball and run with it. So it's a very interesting formation and very critical to the game of rugby. Uh, scrums are something teams practice over and over and over again. But the thing that's so interesting is the directions that are given by the referee. He, he actually gives them instructions as to what they do through each stage of that scrum as they form the scrum and begin to push against each other. And I don't know all the rules for rugby. I don't follow it that well. But one thing I know is that you'll hear the referee on the microphone, he'll yell out to the team and he'll say these three words He'll because they have basically 30 seconds to form a scrum from the time the penalty is called to form the scrum and begin to contest for that ball. And so he will yell the words, he'll say, crouch, and they will get in position as a team facing each other, several men, and they will grab each other around, kind of around the back and under, under the arms and they get in a locked position in side by side and behind each other, pushing together. But they get in a locked position first, together as a team. Then he'll use the words bind, and that's where they basically, they're in position, now they grab each other. They basically get in a tight formation, kind of like a puzzle that's all put together really tight. And then the third action that takes place is he will say, he will say set, and that's when these two teams that have this incredible force of power behind them, because it's all these big muscular legs pushing in one direction, they basically push together with the other team and lock into place, and that's called set. And that's when they start to push against each other to try and win that ball. Very interesting process in the game of rugby. So I'm going to try and use that as a, an example for what we're going through this morning. Um, and I hope you won't get injured in any way as we do this this morning. But the first thing that we find here in this, in this passage, it says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul will eventually instruct us on how to seize the opportunities and walk through open doors and deliver the gospel to the world. But first and foremost, he begins where we must begin. And that is prayer. To casually pass over this step is to put at risk every other step. So this would be the crouch position. He's saying get ready. Get in formation. Prepare. Something's coming. Prayer is the beginning and ending of all effective Christian ministry. It's not an interlude. It's not an emergency measure to be put in place in a time of crisis, although we do pray during times of crisis, it's not a luxury just only a few people employ. It's for all believers. And it's meant to be an exercise that we put into practice in our lives. And this is why Paul tells us here and, and tells the believers in Colossae to whom he is writing that before they do anything publicly, going out and declaring the word, they need to de be devoted to something privately, 
The word devoted means to be busy about. And what an insight that provides for us. You see, it's possible for us to be busy with a lot of different things and overstep or, or completely neglect prayer. Paul wants us to be busy in prayer. But continuing on, Paul, in the latter part of verse 2, he says, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. You see, prayer isn't complaining about our world. Instead, it's interceding for our world. So while we're praying, we should always be watchful and alert, says there in verse 2, or in verse 3. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. Be watchful, alert, In other words, it's easy to slip out of gratitude and develop a wrong attitude in our lives. You know, in our personal lives as a family, we we live in Cyprus. We were in Austria for four years. But we're doing ministry in a foreign place. When you're in a foreign country living there, you are guests in that country. Uh, you're not citizens. You're there under the permission of the government that says you're permitted to live here and work here. Back in, back in 2019, I think it was in, in the very beginning, I think it was actually the first week of September, our son Jean-Marc was in college. He sustained a knee injury uh, and had to have surgery in November meant my wife flying to the States to help him through that process because he was a total foreigner here in the U.S., had no idea how the medical system works, no idea what a hospital in America even feels like. And so she came back and spent time with him. He managed to get through that process, and the surgery went well. He's recovered well. And then... A little bit later, she went back to the States in February just to be with him to see how the process was going and and make sure things like medical bills and all that kind of stuff, things were being taken care of because when you don't grow up in a system here, all that stuff is kind of like Greek. It's very hard to understand. Maybe even when you do grow up here, it's hard to understand. But she came back, spent time with him. As soon as she arrived back in Cyprus, I went off to a conference. And while I was at that conference, I got appendicitis, got on a flight to come back to Cyprus. And as I was getting off the plane, very sick, um, feeling like I was going to lose my life because I was just really miserable. Um, She got me to the hospital. I had a surgery, got better right during the time when everything was starting to shut down due to COVID. And so, of course, two weeks later, um, while I'm recovering at home, suddenly the island goes into lockdown. And we're talking a very severe lockdown where you're not allowed to leave your house or go anywhere. Uh, We were allowed to go out and walk our dog as long as it wasn't further than uh, about 100 meters So we could get out for that reason, Uh, but only one of us could go with the dog. So it was a very limiting time, a time when we were like, you know, Lord, you've called us here. We're here 
to do ministry, to get out there, to reach the world, and we're stuck here at home. But not only that, just around the time that the lockdowns were starting to ease a little bit, and in lockdowns in, in, in Cyprus, pretty much all flights were canceled. There were no flights in and out of the island for over three months. So there was no way to get off the island if you wanted to. Um, and so we were pretty much stuck. And uh, fortunately, Cyprus is a big place. Uh, it's a pretty big island. But, uh, you know, my mom's health was starting to deteriorate. And my father got on the phone with me and said, John, try and get a flight out. Uh, she's maybe got a week or two left. And I realized I was in a stuck situation. But I said, I'll try. And so I began just looking for tickets. And I started booking tickets, even though there were no flights going. And... And eventually, a week later, I was able to get a flight out, one of the first flights to leave the island as the island was just starting to come out of lockdown. And I was able to make it to my mother's bedside to spend a few hours with her before she passed. Precious how God answers prayer. To know that he sees the little things in our lives that really matter. And he made a way. You know, God has healed up John Mark. He's doing a lot better. Until a week ago, he, uh, you know, we, we left him and our daughter in Georgia going to Bible college. They're doing great, loving Bible college, enjoying hearing from the Word of God and learning from him. And then uh, he was playing, doing a fun activity, I guess, that college kids do. And uh, in the process, he broke his collarbone in a couple places. And uh, so he was back under the knife this past Thursday uh, to repair that, put in a plate and screws. So he's sitting at his dorm, uh, his, his house where he lives, uh, kind of mending from that surgery. I was thankful to be able to be with him this week and to just spend time with him. And help him through that process of uh, coming out of surgery and, and getting ready for this semester that is before him. But these different things come our way. And you know, they're not to destroy us. I believe God allows them in our lives to teach us. To help us grow and be molded and become more like him. Because he makes us more resilient gives us greater courage and builds us up as he brings us through these kinds of activities and these kinds of circumstances that we face. But the second thing I want to point us to here, and there's five points in my message, by the way, so we've got a little ways to go. But the second thing here is the idea of depending on him. We look at verse 3, it says here, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul effectively says to, to us here, and by the way, this, this, is, this is what I call in the rugby phase, the bind phase, where you basically grab, you lock in, you get ready for battle. You get ready for what's going to come. And so it's, 
the instruction is there, you know, lean on him. This is not your battle. It's the Lord's battle. He's with us. And he's going into the battle ahead of us. He knows what it's all about. So Paul, Paul effectively says, and while you're praying for me, pray that I'll respond in the right way when God does open a door. See, I agree with the New Testament scholars that the phrase here, the mystery of Christ, is being, by, being used by Paul as a synonym for the gospel. And really, in, in this idea of the mystery of Christ, is the idea that the world doesn't yet know who God is. They don't understand. And Paul is going to reveal this mystery to the world. It's a mystery to them. They cannot understand it without hearing the word of God, without the, the actual direction of the Holy Spirit. He, their eyes cannot be opened to the word. It's a mystery to those who do not believe. Paul wants to be prepared for whatever God has planned for the sake of the gospel of Christ, for the sake that they will know what this mystery is. I do wonder at times how much of our praying is motivated by a desire to win in life, to be successful, rather than to respond well in life when circumstances come against us. You see, there's this same sense of dependency in Paul's prayer. In fact, if you look closely at this passage, Paul doesn't pray that his chains are going to fall off, that the doors are going to just open and he can just walk out and be free. He doesn't pray that he's going to gain the sympathetic ear of a judge. No, instead he prays here. He assumes that he's going to remain imprisoned. But in that state of being, have the opportunity to show, to demonstrate Christ in that circumstance. We have a family that we work with in Cyprus, a wonderful family. They've been put through the ringer of challenges this past 12 months. The, the husband is Dutch, the, the, the wife is Algerian and from the Kabyle people. They, they help significantly in production and coordination activities that relate to our media ministry as we, as we coordinate our team and the things that we're doing to pr produce content, media content that can be broadcast into the country or put on websites for people to have access to. They do a lot of that coordination. And my, my role with them is really to come alongside them and to help them to think strategically and to be able to stay on target with the things that they're doing. So I manage that team closely and we're very close in our working relationship. But this family has faced enormous health challenges. Their youngest child developed a, uh, a symptom in, in the body that just caused tremendous pain and itchiness. Uh, something to do with the skin. And it took months for them to get a diagnosis as to what this was. Blood work was sent off to a hospital in the Netherlands for lab work and all kinds of things. And they waited over six months to get a diagnosis as, as to what, how to treat him and what this might mean for him. In the midst of all of this, the, the husband's father who lived in Malta was dying of cancer, was diagnosed with brain cancer, a very aggressive brain cancer. So he had to go there at the same time that I was here in the States with my mother 
and for her, her funeral. He was there in, in Malta packing up his things, getting rid of things, and moving him over to Cyprus where they could provide better care for him. And so they had him there in Cyprus. But just after arriving there, and just a few weeks after being there, he had to go into a, an assisted facility for, for his condition. And then, of course, while he was there, he caught COVID. And he was taken to a COVID hospital, which for many of people in Cyprus, when that happens, they say, it's, you're, you're not coming back. Having to see his father go through this and not have any contact with his father was very, very hard. Not being able to go there and visit his father. He had to get special permission from a minister of government in order to actually go to his father's bedside on the day that he died. On top of all this, just six months later, just early this year, the wife received news that her father, who was living in the Netherlands, had a stroke. They were able to get to the Netherlands as a family just in time before he passed away. And arranging transport then and all of the activities that are required to get him transferred on a plane where there are very few planes flying to Algeria, but to get him on a flight and transferred there so that a funeral could take place in his hometown. Very important in Algerian culture. The family going through the ringer. Hardship after hardship after hardship. And we're pleading with the Lord, Lord, deliver them from this. And you know what the wife said to me at one point? She said, John, don't pray that the Lord would deliver us. Pray that he'll make us strong as we go through this. He'll show us his purpose in all that he is doing. His sovereignty, his grace, in order that they might demonstrate the mystery of Christ to those that they know. To those in Algeria that they're connected with. But the third thing we come to is this idea of being guided in wisdom. And in verse 5, Paul writes these words, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Be guided in wisdom. The word outsiders refers to those outside the body of Christ. Those in the community, but those who are without the saving power of Christ alone. Those who have yet to be one to the gospel, through the gospel for Christ. And here's the implicit warning that Paul gives behind this action point. The gospel of Christ is not judged by the world. No, the gospel of Christ is judged by the world, not by what they read in the Bible, but what they see in our lives. When the church lives out the gospel and the world looks on, they don't go to the Bible to see what we believe. They look at our lives to see what we believe. And then they go to the Word of God if they're interested enough. But the first testimony, the first word of testimony and truth in their lives is what they see in us. Who it is that is in us. 
So we're to conduct ourselves wisely. To be wise. It means to be, be tactful. Using common sense and respectability. Applying self-control. With insight. And sensibility and discretion. You see our conduct, our conduct when we are surrounded by unbelievers is the most compelling evidence that what we say we believe about Christ is actually true. That's the most compelling evidence. It's our conduct before unbelievers. Just think about these believers here in Colossae. They are, they are a minority. In fact, their numbers are so small compared to their city, it's hard to even say that they're a minority. They would be more like a home group, a life group. They have no church building. They have no printed Bible to show the world. They have no gospel tracts to hand out and to go out into the street and say, here, read this. They don't have schools. Paul is saying, go reach your world. Start by praying. Start by praying for open doors and do Depend entirely on the Holy Spirit and through you and conduct in and through you and conduct everything you do with integrity and tactfulness, discretion and self-control, discernment and common sense, and do it with a grateful spirit. And when you do, the word of God will spread. So it is that you know, as we're guided by the Lord, as we're guided by his word, and we allow the Holy Spirit to direct us and lead us, that these things will become commonplace in our lives, and the world will be attracted to the Lord because of what they see in us. You see, when COVID restrictions and regulations and everything related to it hit our small island of Cyprus, it had the same impact on people's attitudes there as anywhere else on the planet. People are the same no matter where you go. Um, we're all fallen in nature. We all have anger issues. We all respond in similar ways. Now, culturally, we might deal with those responses differently. But people in Cyprus get frustrated just like we get frustrated here. They get discouraged. They get angry. They begin to question. You see, as I mentioned before, we're foreigners in this land of Cyprus. We're, we're there as guests. And we're there for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel. We're there so that the gospel can go out into the world. And we have this unique opportunity to exist there, to help assist our teams. So we have to be very careful to abide by the edicts and the laws and the regulations that go down. And so that may, might mean for us, you know, having to go stand in these lines like we've been doing for the past several months Standing in long queues every three days to get our noses swabbed. Just to prove that we're negative so that we can go to the office and work. Or go to the grocery store and shop. Or go to the restaurant and have a meal. All of these places 
require either a negative test that you prove you're negative every 72 hours or that you've had a vaccination. And so it is that these are the kinds of restrictions that people there face. And I know here in the U.S. there are people who face similar restrictions. In those times, are we allowing the Word of God to speak through us, through our actions, through our responses? There's never been a better time in our lives for the exercise of being guided in wisdom. And pray for us in this, uh, that we will be faithful and clear in demonstrating by our actions that we are following the Savior. That this would be so clear to the people we live and work among. And then the fourth thing is to seize the opportunity. And this is, this is the part in rugby that I love. And it's when the, when, the, when the referee is looking at the scrum and he's looking at these two teams and they're, just, they're locked in place. He's already told them to crouch. He's already told them to bind. And now he says, set. Or it used to be called engage. And that would be the part where the two teams come together and lock their shoulders against the opposing team and they push against each other. Instead of tug of war where they're trying to pull each other apart, they are pushing with all their force to try and win that ball to their side. And this is the part I like to say is this area of seizing the opportunity. God has given us this immense opportunity in the latter part of verse 5, he, Paul says, make the best use of the time. Making the best use of the time. In your cross-references or your study Bibles, you might see a reference to the phrase, redeeming the time. And that's because the original principle here means, in a rather wooden way, Paul says, basically, buy up the marketplace. Go out there and buy up. Take the opportunity that's there. And the preposition carries this idea of eagerly buying, getting out there and buying. But what's, that, that's almost a good illustration, really, of Paul's attitude toward buying up the time and not wanting an opportunity for the gospel to slip through your hands. Not giving up that opportunity. There's a sense of urgency here where it's now is the time. We don't want to miss it. And I think of those teams as they're wrestling against each other. It's, it's their opportunity to gain the upper ground and to be able to obtain that, that ball. And this is the attitude of Paul. And in 1 Corinthians 16.9, Paul uses this image of an open door as he writes, For a wide door for effective work has opened for me. He writes later to the same church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, where he says these words, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. You see, Paul's the kind of person who listened for the sound of doors opening. Always on the lookout, always alert in prayer and thanksgiving and a dependency so that when the door was open, there he was ready to go through. 
Just like Paul, we need to be willing and prepared and ready with an eagerness to capitalize on every opportunity for the gospel. Over the past 18 months, as we've ministered with TWR there in Cyprus, we've had some amazing opportunities to reach into and engage with the audiences that are in in Algeria. Even though there have been tremendous restrictions placed on people's lives in Algeria, even more strict than what we had in Cyprus. But in Algeria, among the Kabyle audience where, whom we serve among, there's been a systematic closing of churches over the past few years. All the way back in 2006, the government issued an edict that basically said all churches that had existed for many years, all churches had to re-register through, through an, uh, an association um, or a kind of a board set up by the government, you had to apply to re-register your church in order to continue to meet. Well, from 2006 right up until about 2017, 2018, nothing was ever done with that. Churches continued to go through the process of meeting together because this group that they were supposed to be able to give their applications to never came together. No one knew who was on this group. It was a committee that nobody knew who was even in charge of the committee or who was on the committee. So there was no one to submit the applications to. So the churches continued to exist and to grow and thrive and and hear the gospel preached every Sunday. But then, in 2018, they began to receive warnings that they would have to close down. And in late 2018, early 2019, churches began to be shut systematically closed their doors. The authorities would come to the door of the church even while churches were meeting, empty out the church during the service, close the doors, put a chain on it, put a wax seal on that keyhole and, that, and a notice basically closing that building. So what did the churches do? They went out on the streets. They went out on the, on the highways and byways Metaphorically, they went out basically into the parks and began to meet publicly as a church, saying, we don't need a building to be a church because that's not what we are. We are the people of God. So they began gathering as groups of believers, and then they began shutting that down because they were meeting in places that were public places and you weren't allowed to have gatherings there. So they're basically being forced into house churches. And house churches for years and years, are deemed illegal in Algeria. So it makes it very hard for believers to come together safely and worship the Lord together, knowing that they can receive huge fines and even prison sentences for doing so. We've been amazed at the outpouring of the Spirit as the programs have been broadcast in 2019 through the program through the Bible which we broadcast in the Kabyle language five days a week it's a 30 minute program five days a week for five years and it's been going on for 20 years but we just in March of this year finished our last five years of the the last month of the five-year cycle of a new version that was produced a new voice 
presenting the program, and we've begun the process of re-airing that. But that program in 2019, we had about 811 unique responses from people to that program. In 2020, we had over 11,000 responses to that program during COVID lockdowns. People are hungry for fellowship. People are hungry to hear a word of encouragement. People are hungry for the word of God. And God is opening the doors for the word of God to come into homes and be heard, allowing people to respond to him. My last point, and I'll try and be quick because I know we're all hungry for that picnic. But how we communicate matters. How we communicate really does matter. Paul says in the latter part of verse 4, he says, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And he goes on in verse 6 where he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The context would indicate that these people to whom we respond are actually outside the church. How do you talk to people outside the church? We know how to talk to one another in the church. How do you talk with people who are outside, who are even resistant and hostile to the church? Given the added expression of seasoning our speech with salt, Paul isn't speaking so much theologically as he is here practically. One of the major problems in the church at Corinth, in the Corinthian church, was a problem with their angry and divisive speech. So, so listen here to the words of, of the Apostle Paul as he writes these fearless words at a time when he is preparing to visit the Corinthian church. He writes these words from 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20. He says, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may, you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. You see, Paul is writing to that church, not to the world outside, He's not saying this to the unbelievers. He's saying this to believers. Paul says to the local church in Colossae when he writes to them in Colossians, speak to your world with the winsomeness of grace when he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. For Paul, the metaphor was simple enough. Salt was valuable. It symbolized purity. It seasoned food. And by the way, it created thirst. In other words, speak in such a way that your vocabulary is seasoned properly. Don't waste your words. Words are precious. They're a God-given way for us to communicate who he is. Don't throw them around. Don't dirty them. And most importantly, in the context of this challenge to reach our world for Christ, use your words to create a thirst. Talk to those you meet in such a way that God might use your words to create a thirst for Jesus Christ, who is, after all, the living water.
the one who quenches our thirst. In closing, we have a, we have a wonderful team of follow-up workers who serve together and support the work in Algeria. I'm always amazed and, and encouraged by their commitment to pray faithfully and to do it with thanksgiving, with full dependency on God. They're always seeking the Lord to guide them in every step, every decision they make, to be guided in wisdom. And they're doing everything they can to seize the opportunities he brings. Our ministry team in Algeria, in the midst of the lockdowns, and also, I might add, not being able to receive payment for their services because it's very hard to transfer money into Algeria through the banking system, especially because of the kind of work we do. So we have to have a courier who actually travels out of Algeria to a place in Europe, receives money, and takes it in in order to pay our workers. That's how it has to be done in euros. The difficulty with that is when there's no flights going in and out of the country, it's very hard to get money in, and there is no other way. And so we explored with all the banks we could of how we could get money into Algeria, and there was no safe way for us to do that. But in spite of this, the workers continue on, and they do it joyfully knowing that their work is not in vain and that their work is for a greater good. It's for the kingdom of God. And they know that in their little small corner of the world, they are part of the church. And God is building that church. I want to read to you two listener responses to, uh, to, to to some of our follow-up workers in Algeria from people that they visited in their homes and were able to engage with them and then one other person that, who was writing back and forth through social media. And listen to these re two responses we received a few weeks ago. This first one from a female. Although I have never set foot in a church, I am so glad to be able to communicate with you and to receive your input in my life. This must be like church. I am so grateful for the confidence I can have when communicating with you, for the care, sharing of scriptures, in prayer. She was visited by one of our follow-up workers who traveled to this listener and sat in her home and just talked with her about the things she'd been hearing through the radio programs. This second one is a, a response from a female listener in Algeria who, who wrote to one of our follow-up workers through social media. She says, I am a Muslim, but I want to hear these words of the gospel. After messaging back and forth a few times, this young lady gave her life to Christ and after making her confession of faith there on social media to this follow-up worker, she was overjoyed. She had a lengthy talk with the correspondent's wife, the wife of the follow-up worker, and they advised her by sharing their own testimonies and demonstrating to her what it is to be a follower of Christ 
how to express her newfound faith to others. And to this day, she's now out sharing with her family publicly what God has done in her and how he's brought her to Christ. The word is going out. People's lives are being changed. We can thank the Lord that when he calls us, he equips us and he moves before us and he guides us. When we get into that position, that crouch, where we're praying with thanksgiving and we're gathered together and we're working in one direction, pushing in one direction with, with the Lord at the helm and guiding us, we will obtain that wonderful goal, proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ to the world. May God be the glory. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for lives that are being transformed through your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would find us faithful in the way in which we walk. Lord, that you would show yourself to the world. That many would be drawn to you into a relationship with you that would be never changing and ever growing, Lord, in the direction of you, Lord. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be obedient to your word, to walk in it, that the world might know who you are by the way in which we live, guided by your spirit and your word. For the glory of your name, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.